My sister and uh, the kids came to Mass last night, and uh, I greeted them when they were coming in the door. And to give you an indication of the relationship I have with my sister, she promptly said to me, nice Vikings colors. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> but of course, it's fitting that purple is a penitential color. Um, and so we, <laughs> we enter this uh, penitential season of Advent. And uh, it, it has a, a bit of a different flavor from Lent. Lent seems a little bit more, I don't know, severe, I guess, uh, than Advent. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, um, the, the church doesn't wish it to be quite as sort of uh, strong. Uh, but secondly, because we're surrounded by the, these holidays, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to um, get into the penitential nature or too much into the penitence when, you know, we just have all of the stuff going on and, and Christmas parties and all the rest. But nonetheless, uh, we need to do what we can uh, to try to break through that and make sure to, to leave room for our spiritual lives. So, Advent. The, the first principle of Advent, you know, what are we celebrating? What are we commemorating? The two comings of Christ. So the, it's, it's interesting because it's sort of backwards in a sense. In another sense, it's not. But um, the first two weeks, generally, we are thinking about the second coming of Christ, like the reading from today, particularly the gospel. And then as we get closer to Christmas, we start to remember that first coming of Christ, the incarnation, the enfleshment of God himself, the son of, the son of God becoming man, uniting divinity and humanity for all time, right? And we celebrate that at Christmas. So we're, we're, we're sort of trying to focus on two things, what's to come and living what has already happened, you know, living in Christ, as Paul says, putting on Christ and making no provision for the flesh. Now, in the early church, they thought Jesus was coming back imminently, like any day, because their experience of Jesus was, you know, these magnificent events, um, you know, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and then Pentecost, they happened really rather in close succession. And so when Jesus told them, be prepared because I'm going to be coming back, they really thought he meant in their lifetime, it's going to happen. And so a lot of these early church writings, particularly from Paul, you can see a shift, right? There's initially he's writing as though Christ is coming in their lifetime. And <laughs> then you can just imagine Paul's like, wait, I'm, I'm getting old. Maybe he's not. Maybe he meant something else. And the writings change a little bit, right? And they take on a different sort of flavor relative to this point, which is to say, live in expectation. So no one knows when he's going to come back. All of those, you know, people who are trying to tell you and figure out when he's going to come back, it is a futile effort. The Lord has already told us so. But we are to live as though it could occur at any moment that sort of anticipation. The church uh, says that we live in the last days, the final days 
of what all that God is putting together. So there's that, there's that expectation of what's to come, but then there's the actual living life now. And there's a tension. And I think the tension is good. I think it actually accentuates spirituality rather than detracts from it. Now, some people will have a different lens and that's okay. And they'll say, well, you know, all of this worldly stuff is just a distraction. But I don't think that's true if you believe the world is good. If you believe that God creates good things, namely people and things, that creation itself is an extension of the goodness of God. Now, if you're in that camp, as I am, you're going to say, well, wait a second. So as we live our lives, then we are to experience God also. It's not just that, oh, be in misery now, and then you'll get all the good stuff later when you're dead. That seems like an awful way to live. And it's certainly, I mean, if you grew up with Italians as I did, you just don't live that way. You enjoy life and a lot of food. Um, (laughs) But not just them, but that's how I grew up. So we're really called to live with one foot in time and one foot in eternity. And it creates a tension because we're to live, if you will, the incarnation now, the incarnation. And how does that work? Well, when we're baptized, we're baptized into Jesus Christ, right? And through that baptism, we're able to receive divine life within us. So we have this unification even within ourselves. It's different, you know, than the, there's a good word for later, the hypostatic union of Christ, divinity and humanity. It's different, but it is not dissimilar insofar as we have Christ's life within us and our souls inhabiting our souls. And that's the goal is to keep that grace there, but to also embody that grace, right? I mean, we live that every day. So we live the incarnation, the enfleshment truly within ourselves of, of Christ, And so that means then that in life, we're meant to enjoy life. Life is not just supposed to be drudgery. As I've told you many, many times, this is a church where we're gonna celebrate life. We're gonna enjoy each other's company. We're gonna have joy. Mass is going to be joy-filled. Why shouldn't it be? There's plenty of other places where it's miserable, which seems to be what I grew up with, if I remember. So I don't wanna do that. But anyway, why should we not enjoy life? It's good. It's good to enjoy life. Now, here's the problem. It's not all there is, as we know. And so as people who also have a foot in eternity, we need to be preparing for the rest of of what's to come, which is the biggest part. So as we're enjoying life and as we're entering into it, as we're bringing Christ into our families and into our world, we're also looking forward to the day and preparing for the day when we will be with him for eternity. So you look at, um, I was thinking of a couple of examples. Um, One example is how we do religious educations at the parish. Something that I, I, I changed how we do it to reflect more this reality that parents are actually responsible for their children, go figure, but also for their children's relationship right while they're children responsible for nurturing that relationship with Jesus. And so in the home, you are called to teach your children about Jesus. And you might say, well, Father, I don't know what to teach them. 
well, that's a problem, number one, if you think about it. What do I have to share? That's just a problem. And it's attention, and that's okay. It's okay that it's attention, but we can get better at that. Well, what do you share with your, well, you share your heart. You talk about your relationship with Jesus. You know, you talk about how he's touched you. You read the scriptures and, and you just talk about it. Make it simple, right? And what happens is in the home then, we have this embodiment of living in the world, but living for the next, one foot in each. If you think about it also, if you've ever met a, a Christian, a Catholic, who doesn't seem to have one of their feet in eternity. In other words, they're just living for this life. The, their whole focus is this life, right? And, and making this life the best that they can be. And there's really no focus on eternity or the spiritual life. It's an odd thing. It's just odd. And perhaps you've had the experience of maybe slipping too far into that. And, and you recognize, you know what? I'm in a place that doesn't really fit. And that's true. A Christian really doesn't fit and will never completely fit in this world because a Christian is, is really made for God. I mean, really, all of us are made for God. But given our baptism, we've now been truly changed and altered such that we just don't completely fit. And so there's always an oddness. Now, conversely, somebody who only has, you know, has both feet in eternity, you know, they can be kind of weird. And you think, well, don't you enjoy anything in life? No, my whole focus is eternity, misery here. You think, well, wow, that's kind of sad. And I, I want to go home and not talk to you anymore. <laughs> There's an oddness there as well because, you know, God has created everything good. God cannot, you might say that's a limitation on God, so be it. But God cannot create, by definition, anything evil. He can only, and creation itself is goodness itself. Anything created, anything in existence has inherent goodness. It's a Thomistic principle, Thomas Aquinas. And so the goodness that God creates is not meant to be just merely avoided. It's meant to be taken in and enjoyed, but within its proper measure. So I give you another example, which is tithing. I'll have people ask me, Father, how much should I give in tithing, I'm like, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. We're not going to be one of those churches where I ask for your tax returns and tell you how much you're going to give. We're not going to do that. I have no interest in that. I want you to struggle with the question. <laughs> I don't want to let you off the hook by telling you what to do. No, it's more in keeping with your dignity to have that conversation if you're married with your spouse, but to have that conversation with, with the Lord to figure that out and let that be attention right? I have to, and again, this is living one foot in each. I have to take care of my family. I have to balance all of that. I've got to be responsible. But at the same time, why does Jesus make such a big deal about dispossession? Because he doesn't want us to get too attached. And so tithing or giving things away or helping with the different collections we have, which are so generous, that is meant to be a reminder of how we need to let go of some things and not be too attached to the world. That's what the whole tithing thing is about. Yes, there is a practicality, like in the church, of paying the bills, and, you know, we can't do the great ministry we do without you, you know. And you might say, well, Father, do you need our money? No, I don't, but God does. 
the church does. We need it, you know. But you need to give it away to wherever as, an, as, a, um, as a living out of this one foot in each. And so you see how this can work with, you can apply this to, to really your entire lives. How am I living my marriage such that I have one foot in the world and one foot in eternity? I'm living my marriage and experiencing the goodness of it, but I'm helping prepare my spouse for eternity. You can extend that to parenting. Obviously, you can extend that to priesthood. And so what I'm putting forth to you then as we begin Advent, what I'd really like us to do, we've got four weeks, and I'd really like us to get inside this, this tension, one foot in time, one foot in eternity. You know, embrace that tension and that dynamic and really work on finding for you and your family the, the right balance the right balance. And of course, through your prayer and through your examination. And so what we're going to have for you uh, partially this week, and Tom will talk about it later, is we're going to have a, a parish mission that is going to help sort of kick off that process as well. And, a, and I really hope that you can join us this Wednesday at 630. Um, p- please make this a big priority. I'd, re- I'd really like to have a, a full church. It's really important for us to enter into Advent and make use of the season that we've been given. Please stand.